This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And uh, as always, when it begins, I, sometimes I forget, but uh, we, Father and I both love listener feedback. We love listener feedback. Any ideas you have for, uh, for topics, for future episodes, any feedback you have from, from past episodes, questions, comments, concerns, complaints, send them to me. I can take it. Cbergwald at sfcatholic.org. C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at sfcatholic.org. Father, how are you doing today? Better than my sins deserve. Amen. So uh, we are recording this episode on uh, Wednesday, the 14th of August. Uh, and tomorrow, of course, is the Solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, when we celebrate the fact that Mary was assumed body and soul into heaven. Today, the day before that, though, we celebrate one of the saints who had a great devotion to her, um, uh, and that is the, the Polish Franciscan, St. Maximilian Kolbe. Father, why is, why do you, th- there's something about him that is important. There's something about Max that's important. What is it? Well, I think there's a couple of things, actually, but uh, um, I think the most important thing would be the fact that he lived his life as a martyr. And, okay, so what does that mean exactly? We use the term martyr, oh, don't be a martyr when somebody's complaining about something or whatever. What does it mean? Or we use the term uh, that someone is a martyr, uh, like referring to uh, Muslims who uh, strap explosives on themselves. Yes, yeah, we do, right? Yep. So, but what does are, are the a are those proper senses of the term? B, if they aren't, what is the proper sense of the term? Good question. Now, the Christian sense of the term is that a martyr is someone who, uh, <clears throat> first of all, dies uh, because someone persecuted. Uh, and afflicted them out of hatred for the faith or hatred for some aspect of the faith, right? Okay. So um, uh, that hatred could be for um, for the name of Jesus himself. It could be for consecrated virginity. It could be for uh, some other aspect, right? Right. Good. Uh, And then uh, that person has to be voluntarily suffering and sustaining uh, the blows of death for the sake of their faith or that virtue related to God. You mean they have to, they have to be uh, choosing to accept it? As a, you know, it's not something that happens to the inflicted upon them without any choice whatsoever. They, in a sense, uh, accept the suffering, uh, even the death that they're undergoing, correct? Right. Okay. That they choose to die rather than to yield to whatever offenses or attacks against the faith uh, or the virtues of the faith are being made. Okay. So, <laughs> therefore, what? So wait, hold on. Now, you said St. Maximilian Kolbe, you said he, he lived his life as a martyr. What, what does that mean? I mean, can you really live your, how do you live your whole life as a martyr then? Well, that's a great question because we have um, we can talk about that someone uh, who's constantly trying to spend their life for the life of Christ for the life of Christ with others. So there, I was using it in exactly. You oh, got me. Okay. <laughs> 
So, but there, so, but no, I, I, you in exactly, but there's still, there's a, there's a truth in, in the usage of that term, right? I mean, it's, it's maybe not, not precisely correct, but, but in the sense of, of spending your life, your, your, your energy, your, your time for the faith, uh, in that admittedly inexact sense, though, you're, you're, you're still some, in some way a martyr, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. Now, I mean, um, I believe it was Pope John Paul II who might call it that white martyrdom in the sense that uh, a soul might be enduring different barbs or jabs, um, whether physical or emotional, uh, attacks made against them as they seek to follow after Jesus. Okay, so there's this sort of a broader sense of, of martyrdom that that uh, we can apply when we're when we're to some degree, being persecuted for the faith then. Right. right. Okay. Right. And so, uh, blessed are you, Jesus says, when people insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely on account of my name, for I say to you in heaven, great is your reward. There we go. So I, I think it's worth pointing out too that the, the word itself, martyr, um, it comes from a Greek word that means witness. So so somebody, a, a martyr, somebody who's undergoing martyrdom, is is witnessing to their faith, uh, the, the, their faith in Christ ultimately, but it might be, might be manifested in different ways. So which, and we'll come back to this, I think later, but, but that, that has as the, I don't know, to some people, interesting consequence that Jesus himself is not a martyr in that formal sense then. Right. 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 Okay. Okay, so next today we're celebrating the martyred or the, the well the life and death of Saint Maximilian Kolbe, um, and and I think it's worth talking then a little bit about his his martyrdom. I think in particular, so he, he was a Polish saint, uh, a, a Polish priest um, who who fostered this great devotion to Jesus through Mary, particularly through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, Mary without sin. Um, and he was uh, he was caught, uh, arrested by the by the Nazis, um, and he was imprisoned in Auschwitz, the concentration camp at Auschwitz. Um, and one day in the oh, Father, do you know the year by chance? Forty two, I think. Off the top of my head, I don't. You can go, for this podcast. <laughs> yes, go, Google it, dear listeners. Google it. Uh, during World War II, uh, he was he was um, he was at, at in the concentration camp at Auschwitz, and somebody had escaped from Auschwitz, and in 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 because of that, in punishment to the entire camp, the Nazis picked out 10 uh, prisoners who they said, because this one person escaped, we're going to kill these these 10 men. Uh, picked out, I think, at randomly. One of these men was was a, a husband and father, uh, and St. Maximilian Kolbe voluntarily offered to replace this man among the condemned. So uh, the, the, this this husband and father um, owed his life to St. Maximilian Kolbe, who, who took his place and uh, was uh, all of these men um, were starved to death, uh, put in this tiny cell. Uh, I, I, I was in Auschwitz once upon a time, saw this cell, this tiny cell where they, they were, I think they were literally all standing and uh, they they were starved to death. Um, and that's how St. Maximilian Kolbe gave witness to his faith. Father, is there anything, any details or anything that's worth pointing out that I missed? Well, I think uh, just first of all would be um, <clears throat> that he didn't just save that one life. 
um, of the one man because he was also saving other lives and just his generosity and his uh, desire to serve um, uh, the poor in the camp and that he was doing some sacrifices and striving to provide for his other uh, fellow fellow prisoners and um, so uh, so that's certainly going on in his story. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, it does. Yep, absolutely. Yep. And I think that, you know, taking that sort of risk against uh, certain hostile groups is part of um, uh, part of what makes him a martyr and part of what makes him uh, good for our discussion uh, today. And so it'd be a good place to go back to. But it's the other thing, um, just... I thought they were starved, but they didn't die from the starvation. Well, they, they were they were also injected. You're right. They were injected with uh, I can't remember the, a, a kind of acid that um, may the combination of the starvation and this injections killed them. I think. Yeah. Right. Right. So they they, they attempted to starve them, um, and then um, uh, when they wouldn't, uh, when the the starving wasn't going to lie, the carbolic acid. Carbolic. Yeah. That's it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. In 1941, by the way, and it was August 14th, 1941. Oftentimes with martyrs, their feast day is um, the, the day of their death, the, the day of their birth into eternal life. Uh, and, and that's the case with St. Maximilian Kolbe. He, he died, he was killed, or he, yeah, he died, he was killed um, on August 14th, 1941. Yeah. So, so um, but I think to go back to that whole idea of, of, of his self-sacrificing attitude, um, I think it's kind of the real reason we kind of, we kind of want to get to him today or, or, or uh, broadcast about him today. Yeah. So so what it, that self-sacrificing attitude, um, you know, we're called as Christians to, to love one another. Uh, Jesus speaks in the gospel, you know, greater love that has no man than this than that he lays down his life for his friends. So that self-sacrificial Love, which the the martyrs such as Saint Maximilian Kolbe evidenced in so many ways, and, and that so many other people do. That so many um, so uncanonized, just good, holy Christians, Catholics, live this out every day, giving of themselves for the good of another. What what's the relevance of of that, Father? What, why is that worth remembering and celebrating? Well, it's worth because it it's. It's what vivifies culture. It's what restores culture. In our day and age, many of us, many Christians, maybe many devoted Catholics, and many just men and women of goodwill, uh, bemoan the fact or suffer the fact that it seems like, uh, as a culture in Western civilization, we seem to be uh, losing just this life-giving, life-cherishing cherishing aspect. That more and more we seem to be more uh, we, we seem to be coming seem to be becoming uh, cultures of self destruction. Right. And so the question is, how do we turn that around? Right. A culture is, of course, a pretty big force. What do we get? What do we do to turn it around? To turn it away from self destruction? Uh, Pope John Paul II referred to this as the culture of death. And as opposed to it, we, we are called to build up a civilization of love. But yeah, how, how do you do that? Right. And, uh, and so I think one of the interesting things to think about is, is to see where it was done and how it was done. And, and I think if you look at the uh, times of the early proclamation of the gospel, uh, the first couple of centuries of the faith, it was very much there also a culture of, of death. Absolutely. 
And you had, uh, you had the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, as they called it, which was not the peace of reconciliation or getting along, but the peace of, hey, the Roman Empire is going to kick your butt, so you better get in <laughs> It's true. Right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, which was no peace at all. You had uh, human and child sacrifices going on in the various cults of Moloch. You had uh, temple prostitution, uh, slavery in various ways. You had all sorts of um, of evils in that regard, and even worse, evils done in the name of of God. Absolutely, or, or of some deity, right? Or uh, in the name of religious practice. And so it was into that that uh, the Christian message came. The Christian message as taught by the uh, by the early martyrs. As taught by the early martyrs, what do you mean by that? Well, taught by their life, by their witness, by their actions. Okay. Show me, don't tell me. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Actions speak louder than words. And so um, it's always a good it's always a good broadcast, uh, Dr. Bergwald, when I can. <laughs> Quote a Rush song in a sentence with no one really knowing I'm quoting a Rush song. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, and so so to give that sort of witness um, of that, and, and that's there's a saying I think it was Saint Augustine perhaps who said this that the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. Tertullian. Tertullian. Yes. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So. In sacrificing their own lives, these men and women, what they, they, well, they, they ended up growing the church, but how, why, why is that? Well, okay. Why is that statement true by Tertullian? Good question. Uh, it's true because people see that undeniable witness. Uh, part of a culture of death, part of an anti-gospel is uh, always this notion that um, uh, that you uh, uh, that you should um, was it that you should cause someone else's death or pain so that you yourself may have life. Okay, does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. So this idea that if that if I cause this other person uh, shame or difficulty, right? Uh, but at the, at the end of it, I myself will attain some increase in life or happiness or goodness. So, so in other words, maybe to to, to sort of uh, spin that around in a sense, what's most important is is my happiness, and uh, in, if striving for my happiness happiness entails your suffering or even your destruction, so be it, because. What matters is my happiness. Right. Okay. It's not necessarily, in other words, it's not necessarily setting out to destroy someone else, but if somebody gets in the way, so to speak, then their destruction for the sake of my happiness is is the, a price worth paying. Right. Okay. And so we see, and so in that, even just talking about those sorts of stark terms, uh, you could also use the Mother Teresa quote, uh, where she says, it is a poverty to decide that a child must die in order that you can live as you want. Absolutely. Which is her kind of definition of abortion. Right. Not her kind of, but her actual definition of abortion. And so, um, so in, in response to this, then, the answer is uh, self-sacrificing love so that others may live. So it's more than just speaking about the value and the dignity of all human life. It's paradoxically giving up life to show how much life is worth. Right. Okay. Uh, 
I'm thinking here just of a this is just a quick little quote, but um, in a in an early theological work by Cardinal Ratzinger, now Pope Emeritus Benedict, uh, he defined gospel joy, gospel love, gospel joy as being uh, someone saying to you, "It is good that you are alive. It is so good that you are alive. In fact, that I'd be willing to die so that you might live." Hmm. And he says that's the source and the heart of gospel joy. So, so that really is the opposite of, of what we we're just saying with our culture, where we make the the fulfillment, the happiness of the other, uh, the important thing, even if it costs my own life. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. And, and that's the powerful witness that the world world needs. And um, I was sharing uh, a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago, really. There is a this story uh, going of a priest in Virginia who heard about a couple who had a uh, Down syndrome baby. This goes back to late June, early July. Um, and this couple uh, was going to abort this baby that was diagnosed in utero um, with Down syndrome. And, and the uh, priest heard about it somehow. I don't know whether he was their pastor, or, but he said, How, if I can find you a couple to adopt the baby, you know, would you bring it to term? And uh, he reached out through social media or Twitter or whatever it was, and um, and he got you know 900 couples to volunteer to adopt this baby. And um, so the the couple went through with the uh, said, okay, we'll, we'll agree to carry carry the child to term, um, and uh, and we'll adopt this baby, which is a pretty beautiful story itself, right? Right, absolutely. But the interesting thing was people were kind of critiquing, well, it's easier for, you know, this Catholic priest to say that he isn't going to be the one who has to raise this child and care for this child its whole life, you know, and you pro-lifers only care about children uh, in the womb, and once they're out of the womb, you don't care, right? Yeah, that's a, yeah, a claim that's often made. Right. And so what was a beautiful little story that came out from this is that this, uh, this priest his own dad, uh, this, this priest himself, I should say, his youngest brother had Down syndrome. Right. And even more so, it turns out that back in 2008, five years ago or so, this priest's father uh, died while uh, saving the life of his youngest brother who had Down syndrome. So the, the, the priest's, yeah, so the priest's dad was... Or, sacrificed his own life in order to save his youngest son, the other brother of this younger brother of this priest. Right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the, the father and son, uh, uh, were in their backyard and the, the down syndrome child, 20 years old, uh, fell into somehow into a septic system. That's right. And, uh, the dad who was, uh, in his, uh, in his sixties, uh, jumped in, uh, and was lifting up the sun to keep him out of the the, the system, out of the wall, out of the, out of the sewage. septic water, the sewage, while they're waiting for help to arrive. And in the process, the father died. Yeah. He gave. Yeah. He he, he gave his literally gave his life that his son might live. Yeah. And this is again the father and the brother of this priest who found a home for this Down syndrome child. So it wasn't just this priest kind of, you know, writing a check that someone else was going to have to cash, right? You know, by making demands and, you know, only caring about this down, this uh, this present-day Down syndrome baby just while it was in the womb, 
right? But this is this priest who has learned at a school of self-sacrifice in the watching of his father. Absolutely. That's a powerful story. Again, to be clear here, that's not just some beautiful parable. This is a true story, right? True story. I found a Washington Post article. There you go. Yeah. And so, and so it's these, these actual actions of, of giving of yourself, even to the point of losing your life, that witness to, uh, to, to use our, our image for the day, uh, witness to and build up the culture of life um, as a po- uh, in opposition to the culture of death then. Yeah, and, and, and that's what's needed. That's, and so I'm not saying that everyone who's listening to this who cares about the culture of life needs to go uh, find a way to self-sacrifice themselves tonight for the sake of someone else's life. Not in the sense of giving your research, but, but self-sacrifice in the sense that when I go home, um, maybe you know, imitating that in the sense of being more concerned with the well-being of you know, my, my spouse or my children or my siblings or my parents or, or my, whoever the loved ones around me are, uh, more concerned about their well-being than my own and sacrificing my own energy, my own time, my own happiness or pleasure for theirs. Right. I mean, in, in that way, again, that the sort of broad sense of martyrdom that we we're talking about at the beginning. And that way, we're all called to that daily witness, that daily martyrdom. Right, Father? Very correct. And that kind of goes back to that life of St. Maximilian Colby, where I talked about how he lived and died as a martyr in that way. And that's something we can all do. I mean, even, you know, the, the martyrdom, tr- martyrdom in the, in the precise sense of giving your life is, is, is a grace uh, that, that obviously not all of us are, are called to. Uh, not of us. That's something that all of us are asked to, to, to give. But we can all and we are all called to make those little self-sacrifices, those little, little acts of of love, uh, gestures of love that in their own way also build up the civilization of love, right? Very correct and very needed. So there are other, you know, other um, witnesses to this. Another just earlier uh, this this month, earlier in August, I think it was um, last week, last Friday, um, August 9th is the feast of St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, who is better known as St. Edith Stein. Uh, the, the, the German, she was a, a German philosopher in the early 20th century, um, uh, a Jewish woman who, who stopped practicing her Jewish faith, uh, I think in her teens or 20s uh, and became a, 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 a well I think world-renowned philosopher in, in the school the philosophical school of phenomenology for those of you who are into philosophy uh, and, and as as she grew and she continued studying and 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 self-reflection uh, a book I think it was a book by Saint Teresa of Avila somehow came across her path at one point and reading it uh, brought her to a profound moment of conversion to Christ and to the, the Catholic Church and she she uh, she became Catholic, and then after a time, she became a Carmelite nun, uh, a cloistered Carmelite sister, uh, who who left academia, left philosophy in the formal academic sense, and and simply became um, a religious. And if this was in Germany, and then the Nazis were coming to power, and World War II began, and so she and her she had a, another a blood sister um, who uh, had, had also become a, a Catholic and a, and a Carmelite. 
And uh, because the two of them were Jewish, their their religious sister said, you need to get out of the country. So they went to another co- convent in uh, the Netherlands. Uh, of course, the Germans would eventually conquer the Netherlands as well. And, and again, the Carmelite sisters there were going to move Edith Stein uh, with her religious name, Teresa Benedict of the Cross, and her sister. And she said no. And, and, and she allowed herself to be arrested um, and imprisoned by the Germans, the Nazis. She also was sent to, uh, to a concentration camp. I, I don't think it was Auschwitz. I can't remember which one it is right now. But she, she was killed in the gas chambers. Um, and she specifically said she, she, she gave her life for her people spiritually, for, for, for the Jewish people uh, in a spiritual way. She, she wanted to offer her suffering, her death up for their benefit, uniting her own suffering with that of Christ in the cross. So, Father, another example from World War II, a powerful witness of somebody, um, maybe not in the direct way of, of literally taking somebody else's place, but at least in her intention, offering up her suffering, her martyrdom for another or for others in this case. Right. Uh, and and uh, she actually did uh, die in Auschwitz as well. Okay, it was. Okay, okay. Yep, 1942. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, in a sense of a... Of a uh of an atonement offering, you could say, in that way of, um, of, uh, and then also an, a, an offering of solidarity to be in solidarity and union with her, uh, um, um, her blood brothers and sisters, in that sense, uh, from the uh, from the Jewish faith who were being martyred and killed. Absolutely. And so, any other examples of this self-sacrifice that you want to mention? Well, I think the obvious one, and it's uh, a little short to, to mention such a big topic, but of course is uh, is our Lord. Yes, and uh, and just that that this also this is also why it's one of the best representations and best even most evangelically powerful aspects of our faith is because it points so directly to our Lord and uh, and how He lived and and how He. Uh, by his own saving sacrifice on the cross, gave to all of us uh, life and life in abundance. You know, we, we, we've talked about this several times, usually during Holy Week, um, but I, I'm still struck by the fact that when you look at the four Gospels, the percentage of them, the number of pages, so to speak, uh, the, 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 the space that is devoted to uh, the, his suffering and death, the passion, death, and then resurrection of Jesus, giving witness to the importance of his own self-sacrificing love. Right, that that great uh, impact and and import in that way. One of the very fact that the sign of our faith is the instrument of his death. Absolutely, the, you know, and yep, and it wasn't that way initially. We could, the cross was very much, uh, I mean, <laughs> a, 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 an instrument of torture and death. But over time, uh, Christians came to see it as a powerful witness. Father, any any final nuggets or thought that you want to share? Not for me in that way. Okay. Uh, so again, this idea of self-sacrifice, so we can put this into to practice in our own ways, self-sacrifice, sacrificing our own time, energy, attention, whatever it is, for the sake of others. And with that, we will draw this episode of Ignition to a close. Again, if you have any questions or ideas for future episodes, email me, cbergwald.sfcatholic.org, c-b-u-r-g-w-a-l-d at sfcatholic.org. 
Until the next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.